Warning! This show contains adult themes and language, including Fox We Are Still Trying to Give. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on May 2nd, 2022, and we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of climate change deniers are suffering from it. I am Squeaky. And I am Mako. We discuss logic and evidence because our hope hasn't been crushed quite yet. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you donated all your money to climate change lobbying, you can like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. Today, we are going to discuss climate change and the myths around it. Bark, bark. Shasta's upstairs barking at bark. Bark, 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 bark. It's been two weeks since our last episode. Yep. Again, we're pretty light on corrections. We did miss something. Mm-hmm. One of our listeners pointed out a, another fallacy. I don't think we could have possibly gotten all of all of the Shroud of Turin fallacies. No, no, that's... Honestly, I think that would not necessarily be worth trying to hunt down every conceivable fallacy. There's so many. Yeah, that's a topic for like a whole podcast. Not one episode, but like a whole podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did miss the category of just bad dating. In our Discord, this person pointed out a new scientific study that showed that the Shroud was actually from the time of Christ's death. And clearly this was bullshit. And it linked to a thing that linked to a thing that eventually led to a paper in a not peer-reviewed journal. So I'll go ahead and link to that. I'll label it bullshit source. But it boils down to some fools trying to use x-rays to date a thing. And I went to a bunch of sources that described the x-ray techniques they were using. Not used for dating. Huh. Yeah. I had a whole big old rant about it in Discord. I mean, if people are interested, we can sign up for our Discord. (laughs) No, join our Discord. But yeah. Ah, yeah, whatever. There's no money there. Just chat with people who also care about evidence. And we disagree a lot, actually. And I've I've been proven wrong many times. So if you want to hear me without editing. That's... Not for the faint of heart. I'm going to edit out me being offended by that. Okay. Uh, one thing that somebody emailed us, uh, this was a, a new listener, I hadn't spoke to them before, so I'm not sure how spammy this is, but they sent me a link of companies that aren't just boycotting Russia, but companies that are choosing to stay in Russia. Some of them are interesting, like uh, Cloudflare is uh, staying in Russia because they're helping facilitate and getting good information to the Russian people, or so that's their excuse. Another mm. company, Pirelli, they just make high-performance tires. They're just choosing to stay in Russia because fuck Ukraine, I guess. <laughs> but there's a list of, uh, I don't know, hundreds of companies that are pulling out of Russia and being not horrible. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But uh, I'll put the link to this in the, in the in the show notes. And the list has been updated several times. And looks like looks like they'll be keeping that up to date. So it's just good to have a resource if you want to use that to uh, influence your shopping decisions or anything like that. And if you want tires that definitely aren't made in Russia, uh, you can buy Bridgestone. They've entirely pulled out. So fuck Pirelli. Hmm. For the giveaway for uh, helping to spread the podcast, uh, we've got four winners picked out. I've already emailed them, but if anybody knows Pazirk, Peroska, SMR, or Florian, you're our four winners. I'll be mailing you flash drives and Vladimir Putin butt plugs. In Ukrainian colors. Yep, I got it to print in two parts, so it'll be yellow and blue. It'll look, uh, it'll look like it looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there isn't a really good way to, I mean, like Putin, I guess, but 
Yeah, it's not really a good way to describe it. It's special. And again, these aren't actually butt plugs. They're 3D printed. Do not shove them into your body in any way or whatever. They're not sanitary for that. Uh, They're not shaped for it either. You will cause damage. I mean, some people can really fucking stretch, man. Fisting is a thing. Sure, but like a human fist has contours. Like, can you imagine if somebody tried to fist somebody else with a not quite entirely enclosed fist and had long nails? Been there, done that. Exited out. No, look, dude, the, the Putin's head is smaller than my fist. Sure. I mean, granted, when you're fisting, you, you make a motion. I'm making the... Never mind. You, you make a, your fingers into a little cone and just get it in there. This is one of those moments where I wish I had a camera. I'm comparing the little finger cone you make when fisting to Vladimir Putin's nose. I mean, that's... Okay, nose first. Clearly, the nose isn't going to be much of a problem. But yeah, if you're going crown first, the nose is going to be a problem. I mean, not on the way in. And especially the way you have it mounted on the base kind of has to be crowned first. Okay, I'm going to link to something for the Vladimir Putin butt plug. I've got a thing up on fangs.com where you can download it if you want to print it yourself. And I'll see if I can link to something else. Which is, this is too visual of a medium for a podcast. It'll be covered in the YouTube video, I'm sure. Oh, we're going to have instructions on use? No, I think people are smart enough they can put it together themselves. They just need the smallest amount of visual aids. Not those aids. <laughs> there are lots of ways to connect with us that don't involve butt plugs, like our Patreon. Patreon.com slash We have a subreddit, r slash You can tweet at us, at disevidentia. We have a Discord and a YouTube channel. Links are in the show notes. You can email us, contact at disevidentia.com. We do not have a Facebook, though, because fuck Mark Zuckerberg. I'm being nonspecific. Maybe Republicans are listening. Sure. Maybe our podcast is being distributed by Republicans simply to trigger other Republicans because they like triggering people. We've had several listeners in our Discord wanting us to do climate change for a while. And it's just such a big topic that we're going to have to break it up. Yeah. This time we've sort of just gathered myths. Yeah, this is another one of those topics where you could have an entire podcast devoted to it. So... I mean, in the, the full depth of the topic, we're really just going to be scratching the surface here, but it's a start. I agree. Climate change is such a big topic that there are like college degrees dedicated to it. Yep. There are people who don't just dedicate a podcast. They dedicate like their whole careers or their whole lives work to fixing it. Part of why we decided to make one episode now was a... Uh, I saw a recent Kurtzgesagt video. There are some science communicators on YouTube. Every time I think they've got something wrong, I go and check their sources and I've learned a thing. Mm-hmm. They talk about not giving up, not giving in hopelessness, and they compare the current climate change denial trend to the narcissist prayer. And it really is the ideal example in modern times of the narcissist prayer in action. Yeah, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Who, who would disagree except conservatives i guess okay so more thinking there's a whole lot of people that are still on like the first stage of narcissist prayer and they haven't really advanced past it at all but yeah there's a bunch of other people that have gone through most if not all the stages of the narcissist player uh, the narcissist's prayer in regards to climate change i guess i should read off the narcissist prayer yes it's really simple and starts with that didn't happen and if it did it wasn't that bad and if it was that's not a big deal and if it is that's not my fault and if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, you deserved it. Yep. Was that like the seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, the six stages of reverse denial? Mm-hmm. 
And when you say people are still stuck in the first stage, they're still stuck denying that climate change even exists. Yes. So uh, there's unlimited examples here. But I've got Pete Ricketts, the governor of Nebraska. I mean, this podcast is hosted in Nebraska. But Pete Ricketts is still denying climate change to this day, as far as I can tell. I guess he just thinks it won't affect us at all, even though we've had different amounts of tornadoes. We've had winters where there was no snow, things like that. Yeah, we've definitely had disruptions, too, compared to what I am accustomed to. This last half a decade, decade, definitely has had a lot of weather that is different from what I remember it being as a child. And that's not necessarily proof of climate change, but... It's something. It's one piece of evidence. Yeah. But we have really good evidence, and I saw it in the show notes. We'll get to real good evidence. Let's just get more examples of yep, yep. the real parts here. I'll link to a, to a Huffington Post article. Pete Ricketts is part of a, a contingent of, of Republicans right now that are, that are trying to lie about more liberal policies. They're trying to do anything they can to discredit any attempt to help the environment. I don't think it's because they hate the environment. I think it's because... They've been paid by people who want to extract natural gas and uh, other yeah. fossil fuels. They care about their cash flow. Yeah. So they're at a minimum putting on a good show for their, I don't know, their customers, their constituents, not, mm -hmm. not the people of Nebraska, the people who've given them money. And uh, they're trying to do things like claim that Biden's 30 by 30 plan, which is a plan to, to make 30% of the country reserved for, for natural growing space. They're trying to claim it's a land stealing plan when really it's like, hey, let's make sure that the, the natural parks, uh, let's make sure that the wildlife reserves, that they're well taken care of, that they're not going to be turned into you know, coal mines or something. And if we look into this at all, you can see that groups like the Koch brothers, who are big oil investors, have given money to Pete Ricketts and to other groups in this vein. So this isn't some conspiracy theory. This is publicly documented. Mm -hmm. This isn't ridiculous. Okay, another example. Uh, this is uh, a little less recent, but still this decade or the past decade, the past 10 years. Senator Jim Inhofe tried to deny that climate change exists because he had a snowball and brought it onto the Senate floor. Wow, that's some really solid proof you got there. So this school of it didn't happen. Most people are smart enough to realize this is just ridiculous. It's just moot and asinine and just childish. Yeah, what what does having a snowball even prove? Of course snowballs exist. Yeah, and a lot of people think that climate change means that it'll be burning all the time or something. But if the temperature raises on average one or two degrees and it got down to 20, to 20 below where you're at, it's going to be 18 below instead. Or whatever temperature it was, unless two degrees up removes all of your freezing... And even then, that's not what scientists are saying is happening. They're saying that it's a worldwide average. Some places will actually get colder. Most yep. places will get warmer. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll link to CBS News for that and The Life Doctor for The Narcissist's Prayer, just for examples of people still stuck at this first stage. And so, the next stage. That didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. This is just any attempt at downplaying that it exists. Conservatives will frequently say things like, ah, it's one degree, it's not a big deal, or, oh, it's not actually one degree, it's going to be a tenth of a degree. And there's various ways to downplay it. Mm -hmm. But they're all of the form of, let's downplay it so we don't have to deal with it. Because let's say it does exist. If it's not a big deal, then we don't, we don't have to change what we're doing. And right now, what we're doing is really good for people who are making a lot of money doing what we're doing. People selling oil, people selling coal, people selling natural gas. They're doing really good right now. So... I've got a, a Media Matters link, and it's uh, 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 10 different clips that just show how various people play this down. Uh, it ranges from people trying to discredit the notion of climate change by calling it socialism, which... What? 
Well, they they say stuff like climate change is just socialism rebranded. It's it's uh it's not real or it's not a big deal or uh, or they'll say that that there is ice, so the climate change can't be that serious. It's the same thing as what Senator Imhoff was saying, except instead of saying we have ice, therefore climate change doesn't exist, to we have ice, therefore climate change isn't a big deal. It's, it, it just, well. It's just the connection between climate change and socialism. It's I, I get the, the connection is from their perspective. Climate change and socialism is frequently coming from the same group of people. <laughs> but beyond that, the statement is nonsensical. Yep. Uh, it's a, I'm pretty sure it's a tribalism thing. It's not about actually making sense or being logical. If you can, if you and other people are on the same team, you'll all agree that the bad thing is socialism. And that's one way to identify who's in the group and who's not in the group. Yeah, kind of like asking people who won the 2020 election. Yeah, exactly. And I'll go ahead and link to, uh, link to a 538 discussion on exactly that, where there are a lot of polls showing that when asked, people understand who won the election. When you ask questions like, how many votes did each person get? Uh, who's the current president? They'll provide correct answers, but then when they ask who won the election... They'll it, say Trump did. Yeah, yeah it, based on party affiliation and which group they want to appear that they are in. Yep, just another loyalty test phrase. All right. uh, on the topic of statistics, yep. since we went to 538, sometimes the people trying to downplay climate change try to use polling data. And historically, climate change polls very low when people are asked to rank what they care about politically. Almost always, people care about the economy or jobs most. Yeah. Well, it's because of like how near future a lot of these problems are. And there are a lot of problems that are nearer future than climate change. Yeah. I, I don't like, want to downplay it. Like anybody that has to deal with insulin, yet you're probably not going to be ranking climate change very high. Yeah. If you have diabetes and you need insulin this month or you die, what the climate is doing in 2050 just doesn't matter because you'll be too dead to care. Yeah. But that said, 2050 is coming. Some of us are still going to be here. People need to care. So uh, climate change for the past 20 or 30 years has been in the polls in terms of issues people have cared about. And it's always been fairly low down. But if you think about it, other issues have come and gone off the polls. Things like gay marriage is now legal, and that used to be a very contentious or even entirely opposed by the American populist thing. Climate change is sticking around because it is important, and people who do expect to live <laughs> into the future or have kids that will live in the future eventually start caring. And even then, the, the whole notion of this is unpopular, therefore it doesn't matter. This is unpopular, therefore it isn't real. Yeah, that doesn't really track when you're looking at like the objective problems that you are kicking down the road by ignoring climate change. Yeah, there's like a Latin name for this with the argument ad populum, but it's super common for people to try to say, everyone says blah, therefore blah. No, no, it doesn't matter if everyone says a thing. What actually is true or what isn't? Do we have the evidence? Why do people say that? And that's what we, we skipped past that little bit of logic to go right to why people are, are saying that climate change doesn't matter to them, right? If I have to get to work and I have to put fossil fuels in my car to do that, I'm just going to care less about climate change than paying my bills because being, uh, uh, being housed and, and fed now is better than, from my perspective, is better than living in a world without climate change, but me being starving and homeless. Just We have to take care of our short-term concerns, and we just skipped right to that. Yeah. <sighs> okay. The third part of the narcissist prayer? And if it was... That's not a big deal. It's another form of downplaying. Yeah. Not all arguments come from just big media outlets. Like I mentioned Fox News, and we have a lot of Fox News, and even a little bit of CBS and other stuff from the Media Matters link. But I went trolling around in the conspiracy theory subreddits, 
and try to get a general feel for how people talk about climate change there. Generally, they're pro-climate change denial. They'll argue over the specifics, and I found one where they actually, where the, the conversation is, is pretty, pretty angry at each other. This guy posts a, a meme where he's got a picture of a, of a, of a leaf talking about Canada. Mm-hmm. And he's saying uh, the meme says that uh, you can't tax the you can't tax the poor so much that you can change the weather. And there's a whole bunch of dishonesty baked into that little bit of uh, of memery there. The intentional confusing of weather and climate. Weather yeah. is what's happening right now. Climate is the general pattern of what's going to happen over long periods of time, like decades, centuries. Yeah. Like the Amazon rainforest, right? Its climate is that it is generally wet and hot, but any given day it might be sunny or raining. Yeah, it's not going to be both at the same time. Usually, it can be sunny and raining. It just can't be that in all of the Amazon. But if you're like at the edge of a cloud or something, yeah, yeah, or well, there's like a random hole in the the clouds going overhead. The specific, yeah, the, go ahead. the specific poster of this meme tries to claim that more CO two is always good. That's objectively false. But how did he try to rationalize it? Uh, more CO two leads to greater crop yields and leads to more plankton, which leads to more oxygen. His argument was more CO2 is more oxygen. Okay, that's that's fucking stupid, and I can explain why, but that actually comes up in one of my sources later, so I'll explain later why that's fucking stupid. Yep, and even the people in our conspiracy were able to highlight why it was stupid on some levels. Some of them tried to defend some of his points. Pretty sure all of his points were bad. But some people pointed out really basic science things like, hey, carbon dioxide is made of carbon and oxygen. Where the fuck did that oxygen come from? There's less oxygen in the atmosphere. And going to the so far as like call them dipshit and stuff like in the middle of the discussion. And it's just great to see these people chewing each other up because the ones who were popular weren't willing to appeal to evidence. And the people who did appeal to evidence got downvoted to oblivion. Like there's somebody in there actually linking to the IPCC, uh, three C's or two C's? I think it's two. Yeah, the International Pan- Panel on Climate Change climate change commission yeah whatever people linking to that paper the one that that really bothers conservatives when you link to it yeah we're getting downvoted to oblivion but then they would say things that like are in the paper because they've had to backpedal mm-hmm. and another just bullshit like here's a quote that this person said in the middle of one of the arguments oxygen is reactive as fuck and does not last long we need continuous supply of co2 to be broken into carbon and releasing the oxygen okay so they're right oxygen is pretty reactive as fuck Oxygen does a whole lot of chemical bonding with a lot of things, but does not last long? Like, does he not understand the O2 composition in our atmosphere? No, no, he clearly doesn't. Okay. And he's also talking. He doesn't come out and say it precisely, but he's implying that carbon dioxide breaks down in the atmosphere into oxygen. Bold and also objectively wrong. Yep. He just doesn't understand science. And that's where a lot of people are trying to say this isn't a big deal. Either intentional or accidental misunderstanding of science. Like, describe to me the process you were envisioning and what is responsible for this process. Uh... No shit. At one point, somebody was talking about cosmic rays. Cosmic rays. Yeah, something about cosmic rays breaking up the CO2. So I mean, we <laughs> talked about that with the Shroud of Turin. There is the uh, the carbon-14 that is produced from cosmic rays. Yeah, yeah. From... So I mean, there's things in science that are vaguely analogous to this, but no, not this. <laughs> no, they're full of shit. But they're also not as common as the next step in the narcissist prayer. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Yeah, this one I've seen a lot of. So we were just talking about a big deal. And if it is, that's not my fault. In the context of climate change, this would be, yes, climate is changing, but no, it is not caused by humans. All these arguments come down to a contrived measurement or a contrived excuse or or something where it's, yeah, the evidence is there, but it doesn't connect to humanity. 
And even going back 20 years, when I was first convinced that climate change existed, I remember the, the argument that convinced me there was a big uh, volcano in Iceland. And people were, people were trying to say that this released so much greenhouse gases that it's more than, than humans will release in a century. And I, I looked it up. It was less than humans were going to release that year. It yeah. was stupid small. I mean, okay, it wasn't small. It was still a ton of stuff. Well, on the climate change scales, it's pretty insignificant. Yeah. And it was like 10% of our output for that year, or our output was 10% of that. But either way, it was like 10 years has passed since then. It's, it's all a rounding error now. These arguments are often framed in religious terms. Because there's a, an unfortunate overlap with religion and conservatism, a lot of people default to saying God made the earth this way, therefore it can't change. And if you honestly believe that the earth is unchanging and immaculate and perfect and God will just protect it. I remember like a congressman a while ago got into the news because he claimed that pretty much along the, what you just said, like God created the earth and the belief that humans are capable of changing God's plan on such a scale is hubris. I was like, holy shit, dude, you're fucking stupid. So I found a bullshit source, a Medium article, and here's a, a verbatim quote. Man is arrogant to think a rogue, warmongering species roaming the earth and destroying everything in its path can destroy the planet. And there's just so much here that's mismatched and wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of rogue, warmongering. I mean, we, we have a lot of wars, don't get me wrong, but like... I don't, that, that makes us sound way more bloodthirsty than we objectively are. And, I mean, I don't see why we couldn't destroy a planet and no yeah, one... Def define destroy. Uh, I was thinking smash to smithereens. I honestly think humanity, if if uh, given sufficient motivation, could smash a planet to smithereens. Like, convert a planet to an asteroid belt. We could do that. I mean, maybe. Like, that's hard but i'm not gonna say it's i'm not gonna say it's easy but also that's not what climate change people are saying it, well, the first thing i would sorry just, i'm thinking about this now you have me thinking the first place i would go is uh establish a, a network of gravity tractors to to bring all manners of asteroids and comets into our planet oh you, you want to blow up earth specifically i was going to blow up a smaller planet like mars so it'd be easier oh we could do it to mars too that's fine yeah just yeah, start with gravity tractors and bring in large rocks. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with what a gravity tractor is, it sounds super science-y and high-tech, but really it's a big heavy thing in space. Yeah. Because everything pulls on each other. When you have a planet being orbited by something, uh, the planet is also orbiting that other thing, but equal and opposite reactions means that when a, a, a small spaceship like the Space Shuttle or the ISS are orbiting Earth, Earth moves very little, and the spaceship moves a lot. Yeah. So you go, you get a big rock or something heavy, and you put it near the thing you want to move, and you put it in a position where they both move towards each other. You turn on the engine a little bit to remove your or to, to move your tractor again, and eventually you move the thing a real distance. And doing that, you can do things like adjust a rock from a circular orbit to a, an elliptical one and use some math to make it hit the thing you want it to hit. Yeah, enough math and enough time, you can direct every single near-Earth asteroid comet. You can direct them to pretty much anywhere you want in the solar system. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you could even do things like pass them around the moon to get a, like a big gravitational lift and like really smash the shit out of the surface. It'd be hard to get smithereens from that. Yeah, but, but it would be functionally destroyed as we understand these environments to be currently. Yeah, you could do things like sterilize the surface of, of Earth with that strategy. Yes. You'd have to move a really big planetoid to destroy Earth. You'd have to like take like a, was it Ceres? Ceres could probably do it. Yeah. Ceres is a, a dwarf planet out in the asteroid belt. Smashing that in Earth would 
probably be worse than climate change. Yeah, that would be proper cataclysm of global scale. And that's also n- not what we should be thinking about when we say destroy the earth. It's when climate change people say that, they're talking about our ability, our ability to live on the planet, not the earth being smashed to smithereens. Yeah. Moving the temperature up 10 degrees, you know, you, you might, you might, let's say you kill everything on earth, right? It's still, earth will still be here. It won't be destroyed. And that's intentional, dishonest phrasing and strawmanning from people who are being climate change denialists. And even less extreme than that yeah. is moving up, uh, I think, a four degrees, yeah, maybe five just, degrees. Just a few degrees, yeah. Then agriculture, uh, the current agriculture infrastructure as we have it, supplying food to everybody cannot be sustained with that level of increase. And even, let's back off even further. Let's just say climate change stays at, let's say we just gain like an extra half a degree, right? Most agriculture will be fine. But let's say wheat production in Russia falls by half. Might Russia invade another country for its wheat? Not saying that's why Russia's invading Ukraine, but we could imagine another hypothetical despot invading another hypothetical food-growing country, really causing problems for everyone. Yeah, more food for himself and less mouths to feed overall. For that despot, it seems like a win-win. Yeah, and we don't need to have, like, preposterous levels of change to get there. If you change the climate by half a degree, you know, you make everything on average a little warmer, you can do things like put Nebraska in a drought situation, like we are now. The Douglas County uh, something or other group, they were emailing me and saying, ah, yeah, we're we're in a no-burn warning because we haven't had enough rain. And for me, it just means, you know, don't light the little fire pit in my backyard. But for farmers, there could be a 10% reduction in wheat production or corn production for the state. If that happens, what what are the secondary effects? That could be changes in fuel prices. It could be people starving somewhere. It might mean we stop exporting corn. It could be fucking problems. Yeah. These changes are more about individual pieces of infrastructure failing for one reason or another and us being unsure of how well and how quickly we can adapt to those changes as they come. There is a non-zero chance the Russia war, for example, was started or at least was contributed there is a non-zero chance that climate change contributed to Russia's decision to invade Ukraine. Those two countries were in the top 10 for wheat production in the world, and there are going to be thousands of deaths because that wheat is now more expensive and can't get to where it needs to go. Wheat from Ukraine went to all over northern Africa and places in the Indian Ocean, and it's not now because it's not being farmed. It's being bombed. And if climate change factored into Putin's decision— I don't have any evidence that it was, but if he was trying to secure food supplies for his people, that's climate change deaths. And that's what a lot of it looks like. It looks like a lot of weird secondary effects. All the details are there, so it's a fair speculation, but yeah, no evidence. And let's say we even had some evidence, right? There's plenty of other reasons for him to have gone to war, so you can't say it's all about food, because Ukraine has uranium, natural gas, coal, lots of other stuff, lots of steel. Yeah. So he probably would have gone anyway, but what if he decided to go this year instead of next year? If you can push a war off for a year, then maybe you can discuss the negotiation table and work out a better deal. But the faster climate change happens, the more people are going to opt for war, invasion, subterfuge, instead of negotiation, diplomacy, trade. Yep, they're going to want the the fast solution, however costly, because they are going to feel they don't have time. The fifth step of the narcissist prayer. So we were just on, that's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. 
So at this stage, people are trying to say that if it was my fault, uh, I wasn't being serious or trying to downplay their role in it. So yeah, sure, it's a catastrophe and a calamity and it's my fault, but oops, I'm sorry, not a big deal. For this one, I finally go to Trump. Trump has been calling climate change a Chinese hoax for a while. Yeah, I remember hearing that for the first time. And I was just like, oh my fucking God. Like, why get, why China? Trump just needed a bogeyman, and he has ties to Russia, so they were out. So he just picked China. Yeah, he's been anti-China for, at least outspokenly in the media, anti-China for as long as I can remember. As near as I'm aware, he doesn't have, like, business ties to China. He has business ties to Russia. Didn't he establish a few business ties to China shortly after he got elected? Didn't he stop calling things Chinese hoaxes shortly after he got elected? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funny that. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Uh, it's a bit too conspiratorial. The, the evidence is there, but don't don't take that and run with it claiming that, Ch- uh, that Trump is a Chinese oligarch or something. Oh, no. We're not claiming major conspiracy beyond what we can see and what's going on with him in Russia that there's tons of evidence for. But anyway, this, just this right now. Yes. As he's backed off of calling climate change a Chinese hoax, he's also tried to step into trying to take credit for good things. Because during Trump's time as president, we continued, like American businesses, continued doing things like buying solar, not because there were subsidies or because there were uh, uh, forceful reasons to, but because the market provided it as a reasonable opportunity because of previous investments. So our general carbon emissions did go down while he was president, and he tried to take credit for that, as if we hadn't been working at that for the past 30 years. Yeah, reducing carbon emissions is a giant infrastructure problem that will take decades. I'm sorry, your one term did not make that much of a difference. Yeah, we all have to work in it together. And even then, at the beginning of his term, he was actively working against green energy. He he said windmills cause cancer. I know the answer to this already, but I have to ask anyway. Did he even try to explain the mechanism for that? Uh, Not in a coherent way. More coffee-fee? He tried to say something about the vibrations and then moved on to killing birds and then just dodged the question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I figured. He had the smartest uncle in the world who said that it caused cancer, so we should believe him. Ah. I cannot sympathize with people who believe Trump. Trump does all the things that a lying seven-year-old does. Yes. If you have children, you well, you probably see a lot of similarities between them and Trump. So, and just to highlight how Trump is trying to take credit for some of these problems, uh, he tried to cite or tried to provide examples of how every single one of the signatories of the Paris Climate Accord lags behind America in terms of reducing carbon footprint. Oh, that's... Oh, God. Yeah, it's... No. <laughs> yeah. So there are ways where there might be a kernel of truth because re- Republican, I don't want to use the word operative, but re- re- Republican people assembled this. And if you reduce America's carbon footprint by 1%, in absolute numbers, you'll wind up reducing it more than like the carbon consumption of many European countries. Just because America's 350 million people and some European countries are like a million people. Yeah. We're big. Yeah. And we also waste the most. Depending on when you get your numbers from, America uses between 10 times and two times as much carbon as places in Europe. So if we pull back by half, we still might be more wasteful per capita. But in terms of actual like gigatons of carbon released, we'll have fixed that. So it's about understanding the difference between an absolute number and a rate or a ratio. If you're not measuring like to like, it just lets people get in and lie and misinform. And I honestly don't think Trump's smart enough to do that, but I think he's smart enough to hire people that can do that. Yeah, you almost certainly hired somebody to be like, hey, 
figure this out. And then he heard the sound bite. And he was like, that's great. And ran with it and didn't think about it. That's, yeah, that, that sounds really plausible. I've got a time.com link for that. And the final part of the narcissist prayer, we were just talking about whether or not we meant it. And if I did, you deserved it. So lots of people, uh, most political conservatives aren't here yet. They're still on the, I didn't mean to cause it or it's not my fault. It's kind of a difficult thing to rationalize in the case of climate change. I mean, people manage it, but it's difficult. All right. So sticking with purely secular arguments, I don't have sources for this, but I've had, I've had conservatives like in face-to-face arguments tell me we shouldn't build electric cars. That's worse for the environment. And that logic right there immediately segues into you cause this liberal. Yeah, I've heard people try to say that the the process of manufacturing a solar cell consumes a lot of chemicals, consumes a lot of plastics, consumes a lot of oil, and that is not offset by the lifetime of the solar panel. That also ignores that as we move forward, the more we invest now, the better we will get in the future. Yeah, well, they'll last longer, the manufacturing processes will become more efficient, use less material. Or just, we'll be able to switch from fossil fuel-based things to more synthetic things. At some point, we'll, we'll be able to make solar panels without using fossil fuels at all. And the whole notion of let's not invest in the long term so we can keep up this short-term thing that we can do somewhat efficiently is ridiculous. Yeah. But I picked a bunch of people who were a little more direct and less thoughtful with their arguments. Because right now, the people who are blaming climate change on liberals today are the religious conservatives, not the political ones. Of course. So uh, it's happened a whole bunch, but the the common thread is you support gay people, therefore God sent hurricanes. I have a conservative ultra right-wing rabbi, Nolson Leader, who blamed Hurricane Sandy on New York legalizing gay marriage. Hurricane Sandy is particularly a big deal here because it was one of the first big storms where people tried to say, or where scientists tried to say, here's how big we expect a storm like this to be, here's how big it is, and we think the difference is climate change. So that one in particular is is noteworthy because a lot of scientists looked at it through that lens, and there were big arguments about whether or not that's a valid way to look at it. And that's an argument we can have, and we can use evidence to talk about that. And then conservatives come along and say, nope, gays, have hurricane. Come on. Come on. Yep. I've got another one. Uh, so my, my source for, for that one's the Huffington Post, but another one from Salon is six of the most absurd things that Christians have tried to blame the gays, the gays, on. Uh-huh. Just such shitty wording. Like, it, just just let's try to dehumanize people, the, and whatever. There's a specific storm that they've done, and I had a source for them blaming Hurricane Katrina on gay people, and it's not in here, but I'll make sure to, to it's not in my show notes, I'll make sure to link it. Uh, but there's this this thread of, my religion says a thing. I have no evidence for that, but I believe it anyway. You got hit by a, a, a hurricane. Therefore, you supporting gay people. I can't even piece the logic together. It's so bullshit and shitty. <laughs> if I sounded incoherent, it's because of what I'm trying to restate. They're just horrible bigots and they're using religion to justify it. Yeah. Anything that they don't like, they're going to be like, yep, God made this happen because the thing we don't like happened. Yeah. And even when there are cases, because we've heard stories where the conservative preacher said the gays you know brought the tornadoes or whatever and then later on the the weather came and destroyed the church that logic all of a sudden goes out the window as soon as it's uh, uh them and their family suffering yeah then it's god works in mysterious ways i mean it's clear that this isn't about their belief in religion it's about them hating people just finding any straw they can grasp onto to reinforce that hate <sighs> it's not based on anything of substance in that salon source I also have uh, 
the gays, the gays, that's their wording, not mine, but the gays being blamed for the 2008 economic crisis, 9-11, and tornadoes in general. Just in general. In general, tornadoes. Okay. Bulbs, not hurricanes, just tornadoes? I mean, there was a specific hurricane. About Sandy. But like, <laughs> we're talking about in general here. Yeah, all, all tornadoes. But not all hurricanes. Yeah. I, okay. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, like, I'm not going to explain their logic. It's bad. It's just like right there front and center. Like you can plainly see the lack of logical consistency or ideological consistency even. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. People who don't understand what is wrong with this clearly don't want to understand what is wrong with this. I will agree with that. There is a certain level of willful ignorance going on here for sure. And I think it'll get worse. I'm, I'm going to predict that we're going to see more people fall into this last category of you deserved it as we move into the future. In 10 years, maybe less, maybe a little more. So let's say uh, 15 years max. We will see conservative politicians blaming the disastrous results of climate change and saying this is climate change and this is liberals, Democrats, progressives fault. And there will be a, a, a whole category of formulations of arguments like that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. Squeaky, would you happen to know anything about what is wrong with my computer? What do you mean? Games were crashing. Seems my computer was running a bit hot. Around 140 degrees. That's fine. Those parts are good up to any temp that doesn't boil water. Celsius. Oh, but still, what could I have to do with that? I don't know yet, but I went to shut it off. Good idea. Turns out my PC tower is just an empty cardboard box. The power button was drawn with crayon. Still, my monitors and keyboard had wires, so I followed them across the room and through the hole in my wall that is still left over from when you rented a bulldozer. I went out of the house and into the backyard to a patch of disturbed earth. Oh yeah, I was experimenting with green energy. How the hell is... Now I just need to figure out how to get electricity from all this captured heat. We can power your PC with geothermal power. That isn't how this works. That isn't how any of this works. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, we just power it with its own waste heat. It, help, me help me dig this up. Uh, that'll be hard. It's like 15 feet down there. How? How did I not see you digging? Uh, I had a backhoe. And how did I not hear it? Oh, oh, I managed to get a backhoe made of stealth composites from when I worked for the Air Force? <sighs> Dig my PC back up. Actually, I, I can't seem to find the backhoe anymore. It's a very good stealth backhoe. <sighs> I am calling ABK Customs to get a new computer. Yeah, maybe it is just easier to get a computer made with 80 plus certified parts so you know it's efficient instead of whatever you had. Their experts can help with that. I'm going to apkcustoms.com right now and using code EVIDENCE to get 10% off my next custom gaming PC. We just got done discussing sort of a framework of where climate change myths might come from. The whole thought process that leads into the narcissist's prayer. Yes. Knowing where they come from doesn't necessarily help rebut them. What do you have on that front? Uh, so I found a really good series of articles. I... It would take more than a single episode to go through every single article in the series. But uh, from NewScientist.com, they have a whole series on climate change myths and are really well sourced. There is a caveat, though. While New Scientist does have a very high amount of factual science-based reporting, and they do link to a bunch of scientific papers, these publications specifically are from 2007, and a lot of the links to these papers are now dead. That sucks. Yes. 
But still, in some of these publications, they do have enough information that you can look up the, the scientific paper uh, through other means, or you can find other sources that corroborate the information. Uh, New Scientist is a pretty good source for these kinds of things. Okay. Now, is this an ongoing thing, or was this just something they did back in 2007? Uh, near as I can tell, every single one of their publications for climate change was from 2007. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. They just did a whole bunch of research and put out what they thought was a conclusive debunking. And then it didn't move the needle at all because there is no evidence that scientists can, can, put, can put forward that a zealot cannot just simply disregard. Something like that. But they do provide interesting insights on some of the more nuanced details of causes for various things related to climate change. Okay, there's some you want to discuss specifically? Yeah, there's a bunch of different things that climate change deniers or doubters or you know, pick your term, insert here, like to say about climate change and how it's not real and like it's obviously not real in some zealots cases. One of the first ones that I personally had the displeasure of interacting with when I started discussing climate change on the internet when I was a teenager was somebody trying to assert that the little ice age proves that climate change isn't real. That's ridiculous. And I've heard similar. How was it formulated by new scientists? So the little ice age refers to... Yeah, that's a period of time back in like the late medieval, early renaissance when there were a few years of like famine, right? And it was just like really cold and... It's actually a larger time period than that. Oh, okay. So the Little Ice Age is generally defined as being from the 16th to the 19th century. Uh, but some people claim that it actually goes back a little bit further and it's the range is instead from 1300 to 1850. It just kind of depends a little bit on how you want to define it and who you ask. But it is a few hundred years by most definitions, where global temperatures did drop a bit. At least that's the claim. But this is just not really true. Uh, for one, there's no singularly defined period, as I, I just described. Like, we can't really agree on exactly when it all happened. And after about 1600, average winter temperatures, specifically in Europe and North America, were two degrees lower than they are today. And that's usually what people are pointing at and referring to when they're like, yeah, no, climate change can't be real because of this. So is there a, another step of logic there or is it just the climate's already gone up two degrees and nothing bad happened already? Because if, if that's the whole thought process, then that should be disregarded out of hand. But I could see that being a whole thought process. Plenty of people have come to me with worse arguments than that. Well, the general argument that they're saying, I mean, yes, it being two degrees warmer now, it does mean warming. But so the claim, pretty sure, is if we just if we were to chart the temperatures, I mean, it's going to go down, and that's going to be a little valley in the chart, and then it's going to go back up. And I mean, like I said, it's two degrees higher today. But that there is this up and down, up and down, means that this is just a part of the normal cycle. It's there's not a constant upward trend. You wouldn't get a valley. You wouldn't get an ice age. You would just get an age of constant warming. Is the thought process a lot of people are trying to apply to this? And that's ridiculous for a few different reasons. <laughs> There's always going to be fluctuations, even in climate. And the people making these claims generally aren't scientists. The scientists say, yeah, the, something like the Little Ice Age happened, and they'll define it in different ways. But then the scientists don't then extrapolate that to mean that climate change isn't happening today. It's always people politically or religiously motivated saying this. Yeah. There's no evidence to make that next connection. So we do have tree ring records. We use tree rings uh, quite a bit to understand a lot of different things about the history of our planet because well, the carbon-14 stuff we even talked about with the, the Shroud of Turin. We can look at carbon content in tree rings. We can look at 
uh, just how the rings were formed and other materials that are in the rings themselves and infer quite a bit from that. And the tree ring records do show widespread cold intervals, multiple of them, within this period, uh, specifically from 1580 to about 1850. So, yeah, okay, we, we do have solid evidence of cooling. It's not to say that the Little Ice Age doesn't exist, but this was only really in North America. And even when we're going off of recorded temperatures, it's it's North America and Europe. It's the Northern Hemisphere. The Southern Hemisphere didn't have any evidence of this. Also sounds like Asia's left out. I'm presuming that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Asia. I couldn't find anything specifically talking about them one way or another. It might be lack of record keeping or, or something. I don't know. I don't want to make any claims about Asia. But yeah, Europe and North America looks like had this phenomenon. Nowhere in the Southern Hemisphere had it. That's interesting. I didn't know that about the Little Ice Age. Okay. So yeah, like you can't call it a global phenomenon if a whole hemisphere of the globe is missing from it. Yeah, and we're definitely sure that climate change is a global phenomenon because, well, when we measure things with like satellites over the whole planet, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. So people try to make some formulation from the Little Ice Age, therefore bad logic, therefore climate change is somewhere on the spectrum of the narcissist prayer. It doesn't matter, it is smaller than we thought, it doesn't exist, it isn't man-made. Yeah, people think that global warming means that there's just going to be one solid upward trend with no deviation. And it's like, no, that that is a logical fallacy. Yeah, things are complex. The general trend right now is for the temperature to go up. Sometimes it deviates a little bit down, but that's how trends work. Trend doesn't mean a straight line. It means, on average, it's going up. Yes. Okay. Okay. The argument from the Little Ice Age, therefore nonsense. That's a good one. What do you have next? Uh, The claim that global warming is caused and tightly correlated with solar activity. Oh, I've heard this. Can, can I take a stab at what a conservative might say? Sure. Oh, that, that highest temperature that you saw was correlated with a local maximum measured on the sun and sunspot something something. Therefore, liberals wrong. Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, I was paraphrasing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I, I've had conservatives tell me to my face, liberals wrong. Like, out loud, they weren't even pronouncing the E. It was just liberals. Like, whoa, okay. They were angry at me. Anyway. Okay. Were they drunk? I mean, they weren't using their whole brain. I mean, it sounds like that's their default state. I'm more concerned about the dropping of the E. It wasn't a beer. They are allowed to drop other things. Okay, fine. <laughs> I got nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is another one of those things that's like, okay, there's some details that kind of line up with this, but ultimately this is just wrong. Yeah. So this is kind of weird. Because people trying to claim that global warming is entirely the result of the sun, solar activity is increased, and therefore so has global temperatures. Solar activity will decrease and global temperatures will go down and everything will be fine. Can I take a stab at this one? Sure. From my own personal knowledge and having heard this over the past, oh, 25 years or so, I know there's an 11-year cycle to this solar minimum and maximum. Uh, There's actually multiple solar cycles. Uh, That is one of them, yes. Yeah, and the temperature doesn't go back down when the solar cycles go back down, or at least not as much as it went up. Uh, yeah, something like that. We should acknowledge that a lot of the heat, a substantial amount of the heat that we experience, particularly on the surface of the Earth, is the result of heat being transferred to us by the sun. Uh, the other large portion of heat is from uranium decay in the crust, but that's not directly relevant to what we're talking about right now. So right on the surface of it, it does make sense to try to make the claim that, yeah, the global temperatures would be tightly correlated with the sun, but this is ignoring a bunch of other effects, uh, things like greenhouse gases. The geological record shows that we did have liquid water 
pretty early on in the development of the Earth, about 4 billion years ago. And given the life cycle of our star output, like uh, actual solar irradiance, increases over time, at least for the, the stage of the star's life cycle that we are in right now. And back then, solar irradiance was 70% of what it is now. And it is believed by scientists that that is not enough heat to actually create liquid water. Yeah, okay, so you're, you're talking about the difficulty that astronomers have with how does Earth have the amount of liquid water that it has. At this early of development, given the stage that our star was in at the time. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I follow, I follow. And there's a ton yeah. of different hypotheses because nobody's really sure. Some people say comets, some people say other processes, and they all have different problems. But the scientific consensus yeah. is greenhouse gases. Okay. And that is why it's relevant in this article and to this topic. Like, it is, we have a whole, uh, the faint young sun paradox. Okay. It's not something that's settled science, unfortunately, but... Yeah, it is definitely the scientific consensus that greenhouse gases, mostly CO2, was responsible for trapping enough heat for liquid water in the early development of Earth. Okay, that makes enough sense. Yeah, so that is one point that this article is trying to make. The other one, so going off of the, the same detail where the, the current stage of our star's life cycle, solar irradiance increases over time. If global warming was simply a function of solar output, we would see something closer to the like a steady, constant upward trend. And that's not really what we see when we look for evidence of it. So we're cooler now than we have been in the very distant past. And like I'm talking like, yeah. we're talking billions of years on these time scales. Yeah, I, I've heard that where climate change deniers will say, oh, before the dinosaurs, the earth was much hotter than it was now. And I don't know, I, I usually just skip right past it and say, yeah, but we didn't build human society during that time period. We yeah. need to care about what the climate's been like the past couple thousand years and we're fucking it up now. Yeah. Who yeah. cares what dinosaurs needed? Dinosaurs didn't have wheat fields. When we're, of course, when we're talking about like the damage that we face, a lot of the things back in this time scale is, is irrelevant. But specifically in the question of how much does the sun impact global temperatures, this information is a little bit more relevant. I see. So you're trying to demonstrate how it is decoupled and how even though back then we had less sunlight, it was warmer because we had more greenhouse gases. So the two things actually are coupled, but they're not as strongly coupled as conservatives would have us believe. I was careless with my wording. They're not directly coupled. They're related. But yeah, again, the, the primary suspected reason for why Earth was warmer back then was, was greenhouse gases. Earth has gone through a lot of different cycles. It has its own carbon capturing systems and a lot of systems that put this carbon into the ground that we then dig up and burn for our energy needs in the modern day. There are different kinds of cycles. Yeah, for warming, cooling, warming again. And that's what creates a lot of the normal fluctuations. But if, again, if it was just the result of the sun constantly blasting us with heat, then we wouldn't see as many of those cycles going on. Now, for a lot of the past few hundred years, solar emissions and global temperatures, and this is a much, much larger, smaller scale than what I was just talking about. Before I was talking about billions of years, now I'm talking hundreds of years. Solar emissions and global temperatures uh, did actually correlate pretty closely. And this is another thing that conservatives look at and they're like, well, yeah, see, proof. But that stopped being the case about 50 years ago when we started seeing solar irradiance start to go down and global temperatures started aggressively skyrocketing. And one of the other sources I have here from NASA has a convenient chart. So this yellow line. Oh, damn. We got to make sure that. Uh, gets in the video. Yes. Yeah. We got to make sure Keldar puts this in the video. That's a great chart. I see it. Yeah. Yellow is solar irradiance. Red is global temperatures. So you can see right here. It actually kind of correlates. That's really close. Then right here. 
completely decoupled. Yep, that makes sense. There in the 40s is the last, there's like a, a peak for our temperatures. And then just after that in the 50s, there's a peak for solar output. Yep. But the, the temperatures go down while the solar output's going up. And then after that, they just shoot off in different directions. Temperature skyrockets up, solar output jumps around a little bit, then trends downward, and they've just totally diverged. Whereas before, they were somewhat correlated. Not perfectly, but somewhat. Yeah. You can start a discussion reasonably by saying these two things are, like there's a cause, when you're looking at just this data. You ignore everything over here. You can make that argument, but as soon as this happens, no. No, this is clearly not the case. For reference, when Mako was saying this data, you can make the case conservatives make with data before 1940. And seeing as that's where they want to bring the country back to, that makes sense. <laughs> so more on the, the NASA article about it specifically. Overall solar radiance has been dropping since 1990. And this drop is expected with known solar cycles. And this is kind of what I mean by there's multiple cycles. There's the 11-year cycle you were referring to, but there's also larger trends of solar radiance going up and like down. Like solar El Nino and whatever. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. So despite this drop in solar output, the globe has experienced unexpectedly large increases in temperatures during the same period. There is something called the Grand Solar Minimum, and some people believe that we are entering into the Grand Solar Minimum, and that is going to cause an ice age. That's going to balance out the effects of global warming. <laughs> and one of these is exponential, the other isn't. Yeah. Uh. So we do have... Some evidence to suggest that a grand solar minimum has occurred in the not too terribly distant past. It was around 1650 to 1700. and That loosely correlates with little, the little, little ice, ice age. age. Yes, it does. So uh, just to make sure I understand, these grand solar minimums, it's just when all the different cycles line up to produce the least. Yeah. It's like when we have a super moon and the moon is much closer to Earth. The, Earth, or the moon isn't like half the distance it was. It's just... Oh, the cycles line up so that way the, the orbit of the moon being slightly elliptical and the, the, the location of the, the Earth, it makes it look like 2% like bigger in the sky, but 2% on an astronomical scale is pretty big. Yeah. Okay. It's like that, but for climate instead of the moon's location. So when we talk about the solar irradiance dropping, we're not talking about the sun becoming 20% dimmer. If that happened, there would be catastrophic effects. We're talking like... Less than a 1% drop. Okay, and there's a couple different cycles that each have, you know, some percentage difference. And during this grand solar minimum, there's a 1% or 2% drop or something like that. Uh, well, even then, still less than uh, 1%, even in the grand solar minimum. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so even if we were to enter a new grand solar minimum, we're not entirely sure we will, but it could happen. But even if we did, the reduced output of the sun is expected to be roughly 0.1 watts per square meter. Wait, the output of the sun is 0.1 watts per square meter? No, no, no. That, that would be the drop as a result of the grand solar minimum. Oh, wait, how much does the sun normally produce per square meter? Uh, the article didn't actually say. Yeah, without context, that's not a whole lot. Doesn't the Earth get something like 13 or 1400 watts per square meter? The sun would have to give off more than that. They did provide one other piece of context for that. Oh, okay. Uh, that drop is roughly equal to about three years of current warming we're experiencing, and this grand solar minimum would be over the course of decades. Oh, so that group of people that are saying humans couldn't possibly cause, cause climate change just haven't looked at numbers. No. <laughs> the, these things... Like, there is an effect here, and that effect could happen, but that effect plus what we're already experiencing, they're in the wrong order of magnitude. Yeah, our impact is just many times stronger. 
than the sun's impact at this point. That's the whole point you're getting at. Yes. All the data points to that. Yes, the sun is having an effect. No, it's not the only thing that can be attributed to this. And the effect we are producing is much stronger than what it's contributing to it. This feels an awful lot like superhero logic. Like you've argued with people over which superhero could beat up which other superhero, right? Yeah, sure. When making arguments about you know, what my favorite superhero versus your favorite superhero, like Goku versus Superman or something, right? People will always say, well, Superman is is invincible and has this thing, and then Goku has this other thing, and it's more like listing off specific key abilities. You're enumerating things and then acting like they're equal. Well, Superman is ten times stronger because of this reason, and Goku's ten times stronger because of this reason, and you add up all the points, and then whichever one has more points, you kind of rhetorically won because you had a point to counteract the other guy's points. When really, if you could measure these things, if these fictional characters were real, you could just measure their strength, and it doesn't matter actually how much rhetoric is around them, it's what are the numbers. And we have good numbers for the climate, and these people are trying to play rhetorical games, like we do when we're comparing our favorite superhero characters, and it it just doesn't work, because we just have the numbers. We know that one of these is 30 times stronger than the other. Yeah. Okay. No, we cannot blame global warming on the sun. And no, even if we go into a grand solar minimum, that's not going to fix our problem. It will give us a kind of a reprieve. That'd be nice. Sort of. But it won't fix it. So the next claim. CO2 is insignificant and can't possibly be the cause of global warming. Oh, well, of course conservatives would say this. They can't see and hold and touch CO2 with their bare hands. Therefore, it can't exist. Well, not just that, but (laughs) the amount of CO2 in our atmosphere as a percentage... It's really tiny, yeah. So on Earth, the atmospheric composition is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.9% argon, and 0.1% other gases, including carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide is a very small amount of our atmosphere as a percentage. I got into an argument with someone over percentages the other day, and they just didn't get it. Yeah, yep. So the argument we were having was whether or not large people should be able to get onto roller coasters. And they were like, the seats can accommodate 97% of people. That's enough. And some people were saying, no, you should accommodate everyone. And I'm like, wait, wait, hang on. If, If it's amusement parks making the decision, why don't they do something like use money? Like, how much money will that extra 3% of people bring in? That extra 3% of people could be 90% of the money. We don't know how big of an impact they'll have if we don't look at data. Because CO2 could absorb heat 10 times better than oxygen, for example, or nitrogen. Or let's let's say CO2 absorbs heat a million times better than nitrogen. Well, then you need one millionth as much. Yeah. And I'm sure you're about to tell me how much more it does absorb. And that really matters for this. Uh, I don't know if I have good information on that specific piece of information, but I did look up more specifically what the carbon dioxide percentage is in our atmosphere. It's 0.04%. Yeah. And it does absorb heat. All all it has to do is absorb heat 10,000 times better. Sounds like a lot. But when you consider that plenty of things don't hold heat, it's entirely plausible. Yeah. Methane is a worse greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, but it's also much less abundant. And it breaks down faster. Yeah. It lasts decades, whereas CO2 lasts centuries. Hang on. I want to look up exactly how potent this is. Oh, it isn't about heat absorption. It's about opacity. It's opaque to infrared. So when light enters the atmosphere, it passes right through the carbon dioxide. It hits things, warms the things up, and then the things emit infrared. Yeah. And then it's opaque to infrared, so it's... Yeah, that's what creates the, the so greenhouse effect. We're comparing an ab- we're comparing something that absorbs energy functionally perfectly because the atmosphere can be made opaque to, to light trying to leave, or to infrared heat trying... In- 
light in the infrared spectrum feels like heat when it touches your skin, so I'm just going to call that heat. So when the heat tries to leave, it can't. It gets stuck. Whereas if there wasn't any CO2, the atmosphere would be functionally transparent to this. So yeah, it really is many times more. So the EPA yeah. has a few pages uh, where they talk about the GWP, which is a global warming potential. It is a unit of measure for gauging how effective of a greenhouse gas the different gases are. CO2 is the baseline, so it is 1 GWP. Okay. Methane has a GWP of 28 to 36. Okay, so it's a much worse greenhouse gas. Uh, nitrous oxide has a GWP of 265 to 298. Wow. Okay. Uh, Did not see that one coming. Yeah, it's pretty huge. Uh, we They do acknowledge that CFCs, sorry, chlorofluorocarbons, hydrofluorocarbons, hydrochlorofluorocarbons... <laughs> HFCFCs, yeah. Yeah, PFCs, uh, sulfur, hexafluoride, they're called high GWP gases because for a given amount of mass, they trap substantially more heat than CO2, but they didn't provide numbers specifically for each of those gases. So, but more than one. Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of wondering, what, what is... Holy God. <laughs> Uh, looks like a bunch of synthetic gases, things that are controlled by the Montreal Protocol. CFC-12 has a GWP of 8,100. Got it. So you crack open one bottle of that and just... Uh, HFC-23 is 11,700. Looks to be the highest number I found. Oh, nope. Sulfur hexafluoride, 23,900. Doesn't sound friendly at all. Okay. Nope. I'm curious what some of these things are used for. I imagine that the HFC and CFC stuff are probably refrigerants and yeah. other industrial gases. Chloroform has a GWP of four, but I guess... So in addition to smelling and tasting great in rags, it's a contributor to global warming. Yeah. So I guess anything below CO2 is not considered a greenhouse gas, if I'm to infer from this, because I'm not seeing anything that's talking about values lower than one. Well, probably what's going on here is... Uh... CO2 is only a problem because of how much of it there is. Yeah. There's a huge amount of it. As compared to all these other gases, yeah, there's a s so much more. Okay, so that was a, a fun tangent. I'm sure you're going to have a whole lot of fun editing. It's going to be a giant pain in the ass. But, so, getting back to the, the core, the meat of the article, unless uh, your specific question. So, CO2, claiming that CO2 is insignificant, if you look at just that one piece of information, that it is 0.04% of the atmosphere, sure, on the surface of it, that makes sense as an assertion. But that is still a shitload of CO2, and the effectiveness of CO2 as a greenhouse gas is large enough, this is still a fucking problem. It's exactly like what you were describing. It doesn't matter if it's one millionth as many, if it's a million times more effective. And that's more or less what's going on here. Yeah, it's like bullets might only make up, you know, one part per trillion of the atmosphere, but when a bullet hits you, you have a problem. It's way more effective at hurting me than oxygen. That's an awkward example, but I suppose it works. You just want to shoot me. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. So, and, and like, human-produced carbon dioxide is not the only carbon dioxide that's being put into the atmosphere. And a lot of people who are listening to this only in the context of climate change may think that, because that's the only context that they're hearing about it. There is an entire cycle for carbon dioxide that's being emitted from natural sources constantly. And there is a certain balance that the current ecosystem has struck. It expects a, a certain amount of carbon dioxide to be produced and then a certain amount of that to be consumed. So there are sources and there are sinks on Earth for carbon dioxide. For the last mm, 
half a million years, 500,000 years, CO2 levels have remained within the range of about 180 to 300 parts per million in our atmosphere. Since the rise of industrialization, we've seen steady increases, and this increase has gone up more aggressively since the 1950s. If you remember the uh, decoupling of the solar irradiance, that was also around the 1950s. At the time of the publication, which was May 16th, 2007, we were already at 375 parts per million. There have been multiple estimates made to guess where exactly we're going to be by 2100, and they range from 550 parts per million best case to 950 parts per million worst case. So there's a big range, but it's all going to be worse than it is now. I, oh, yes. Okay. So there's this whole thing is a big complex system and like you put things into the pipe it goes down the pipe and it comes out later we can't change things right now and expect instantaneous results without cataclysmic changes we can do things right now and we can start seeing those effects years decades down the road and which is why we still should make these changes as quickly as possible because yeah, if you need we're a still going to see it. Yeah, if you need a tree, the best time to plant it is 20 years ago. The second best time is now, so yeah. that you will eventually have the tree. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, caveat for these estimates. These estimates were, again, from 2007. There are almost certainly better, more refined estimates that exist now that give us a, a better, tighter range, given a lot of the technological advances that have occurred since 2007. So the vast majority of excess CO2 is is being synced into the oceans. The oceans have quite a bit of carbon capturing capability. The problem with that is that increases the acidity of the oceans, and that still contributes to uh, habitat collapse. It's like a, a can of Coke. There's a ton of CO2 dissolved in there, and I'm sure that contributes to why you can you know, damage certain metal surfaces with Coke. It's just highly acidic, but it's a... Uh... There's only so much you can put in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a finite amount that it can capture, and we are producing more than the ocean's ability to capture CO2. Okay. So we're going to melt all the corals and all the shells of things. Yes. Okay. Uh, I even, I don't have a good source on it right now, but I read that there's also pockets of methane at the, the bottom of some of these oceans. And this, the, the acidity is usually, it goes to the, the bottom of wherever the body of water is. So if you think that the acidity is not going to reach the deep ocean, that's subjectively false. But in some locations, there are pockets pockets of uh, captured methane. And by increasing the acidity of the oceans, we're going to release a substantial amount of methane when we get to a certain tipping point. So is there a way where we can do this where it's good for the economy? Can we just keep releasing this and ignore it and just kind of catch that methane like in a net or something and just sacrifice the oceans and sacrifice all the shelled things, just go ahead and melt all those shells away for the sake of I don't know, my stock portfolio going up half a percent? I'm sure there is a way. I don't know of it and I don't care to explore it. <laughs> That was that was tongue in cheek, clearly. But mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who think that is how others are making these decisions. And it's more disconnected than that. It's a whole bunch of decisions in isolation that lead to us ignoring these effects. I, I'm with you. Acidity is killing wildlife and can break these pockets of dissolved gases up such that the, the gases will be released into the atmosphere. Goodness. Uh, did you have the GWP for methane? Uh, oh, I yeah, did. it was 30 times as potent as CO2, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. Let me see if I can pull it up again. Okay. Um, oh. Okay, so the GWP is apparently calculated by different time intervals, which is interesting and adds a lot of complexity to it. God damn it. Okay, so 28 to 36 is the GWP for methane. Okay, so it's on the order of 30 times as strong 
and releasing more CO2 has the possibility to release this methane. Okay. From the oceans. Yep. The oceans are trying to keep up with the amount of CO2 we're pumping into the atmosphere. They literally cannot. The natural systems for taking in more, because like there is that buffer zone that is provided by the environment, but we're completely maxing that system and still dumping in more CO2. We're producing so much CO2. So in addition to that, and again, I don't want to make it sound like we're producing more carbon dioxide than the natural world is. That's not the case. We're producing a, a small fraction of it, but I mean, given the balance between the normal sources and sinks, there isn't much leeway and we are exhausting that leeway. In addition to that, we are destroying a number of sources through development, agriculture. So in addition to all of that, we are destroying sinks such as with the development and deforestation, like the destruction of the rainforest. Now, for people who haven't talked about things in terms of sinks and sources, just a sink is anything that can store and capture away a, a, a resource or uh, a thing you're, you're measuring, and a source is where these things come from. Yep. So, like, you might have a swimming pool, and there might literally be a drain, and that would be a sink, and then you might have a pipe coming in that would be a source that would fill it back up, and then you might have something to recirculate it that would be a sink and a source. Okay. That was midpoint. Sorry. We're destroying sinks, and in place of those sinks, we are creating sources. Deforesting the rainforest to create animal agriculture to feed more people, that agriculture is going to is a source of CO2. And we destroyed a sink in order to get it. So if I understand what you're saying, by and large, left to its natural devices, the environment would have an approximately equal number of sinks and sources. It might not be perfect. There will be variants. But we're coming along. We're generating more sources. We're taking sinks that used to have captured carbon and burning it, releasing that carbon. And then to compound this, we are destroying things that would be natural sinks of carbon and releasing even more. So even if we're releasing less, we've changed the average flow direction. So this is a graphic in the article. I'll see if we can get Keldar to put that graphic in there. Yep. Okay. But it, yeah, respiration, photosynthesis, that, that is the lion's share. Things breathing, exhaling and inhaling, plants respirating is almost all of the CO2 exchange. Yeah. Okay. Since this publication is old from 2007, I kind of wanted to see where we are with parts per million since they provided multiple projections for where we're going to be by 2100. And NASA published something uh, mid last year yeah. talking about where the, the current data shows we are. The most recent day that they had data shown was July 31st, 2021. And that was roughly 414 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere on that day. So we are <laughs> we are 80 years out still and we're approaching the range already. So we're going to miss yes. the best case, just no matter what we do at this point. Without some massive, massive change. Yeah. Well, that's depressing. So any argument that stems from the amount of CO2 we release being insignificant is a bullshit argument. It has to ignore either how potent it is at absorbing heat or capturing yeah. heat. We It doesn't require humanity to produce more CO2 than the rest of the natural world. It just requires humanity to produce more CO2 than the natural world can absorb. That's it. Yep. And we do. Yep. So, okay, so two points. Sorry. CO2 absorbs more than other gases to destroy that one point where people say it's an insignificant amount. And then we don't have to outstrip the natural world. We just need to, like you said, outstrip absorption. And we're attacking points where it's absorbed. Yes. Attacking makes it sound like we're deploying the military. Ugh. The Amazon's a threat to the economy. Quick, get the guns. Nuke the Amazon. Gotta nuke something. Nuke the whales. <laughs> yes. But uh, surely 
global warming can't be real. Polar bear populations are increasing. That is indeed the next point that a lot of people... Okay, so people like to simplify things, especially if it's something that's friendly and easy enough for even a child to understand, and then try to throw that out there to make their points. I mean, a lot of people do this, but this one in particular is kind of fucking stupid. Yeah, there's some places where it's valid and not here. Well, this is like a lot of the other things. There's a very, very tiny corner of this information where it's technically correct, but in, viewed in the broader scope of things, it is objectively incorrect. So, okay, polar bears, their population increasing overall is false. It's just, it's not really happening near as we can tell. Wait, hang on. Where are all those actors for those Christmas Coca-Cola commercials coming from? Computers. Oh, okay. I'll let ABK Customs know to contact Coke and just oh hook God. them up. Wow. So the, the general logic is if polar bear populations are increasing, then clearly their habitat must be thriving and their habitat is something that would be destroyed by climate change. Therefore, population of the polar bears are increasing, which again is not true. Then global warming can't be happening is the general train of thought these people are following. Now, near as we can tell, and we're actually, I shouldn't say near as we can tell, we're pretty confident about this information. There are 19 distinct population groups for polar bears in the Arctic. And at the time of this publication, which is again 2007, two of the population groups were in fact growing in numbers, but two were also declining and we didn't have really good numbers on the rest of them. So like in the broader scope, it, even then it's still a wash at best. But if you confine it to just those two population groups and nothing else, then fine. Technically, polar bear populations are increasing there specifically. And that's the, the one kernel of truth. The best studied group is in Canada's western Hudson Bay. And during the course of those studies, it was shown that their population had dropped 22% from 1987 to 2004. 22% drop in population is not insignificant. It's a big fucking deal. That's in 15 years. That's like a 1% drop per year. That's that's bonkers. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has concluded that shrinking sea ice is the primary driver for the shrinking population. The conservative argument there would be something about uh, not trusting the U.S. government? Yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, okay. To get more information on polar bear population, because again, this is an old publication, I did some searching and I found a website that talks about polar bears, which is pretty sweet. They have more recent data from 2019 and... Five of the 19 polar bear populations were shown to be stable. Two of the 19 were increasing. Four of the 19 were decreasing. And the remaining eight, we simply don't have enough data on. It's another cool infographic. Oh, one about polar bear population? Yep. These are the that, locations. And each different, what do the different colors mean? What does blue and red mean? Blue means it's stable. Uh, the yellowish gold, it means it's increasing. Red means declining. And white means we just don't know. So it looks like all the bears in Russia, we don't have good information on, but the bears in Canada, we have more information on. Yeah. And the size of the dots is the a rough approximation of okay. how much. We'll make sure we have this linked in the show notes and we'll yeah. see about getting it into the YouTube video. So take a look at the your screens if you're watching it there. So in addition to that, this website projects, I uh, forget exactly who they sourced for this claim. Uh, they have their own source for it, though. Polar bear populations are projected to drop an additional 30% by 2050. So polar bear populations have been dropping the whole time. They're definitely dropping now. They have been dropping. They're projected to keep dropping. So any argument from polar bear populations are increasing, therefore no global warming, just has its base premise facts wrong. If you narrow the scope down to just those two population groups, it's correct. 
But, then but the it, larger claim is still wrong because you're dismissing all the other information. Yeah. So if you're trying to say global climate change isn't a factor because this one tiny thing, you, you, it's just fucking wrong. Yeah. So either you're fucking wrong because you're looking at the wrong thing or you're fucking wrong because your date is bad. Okay. Polar bears. Yep. But surely there's other reasons to disagree. I might not be expert enough to look at climate change. The experts, they can't all be on the same page. Well, that's... <sighs> Technically, if you want to be literal about it, kind of true, but it, it's not <laughs> usefully true. It's not usefully Don't true. Don't even grant it that. On polls, when you ask people, are you answering a poll, yes or no, 5% of people will say no. If you poll scientists and you get back 99%, what happened is the other 1% didn't understand the question. <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah, people claim that a bunch of scientists don't agree on climate change, that the debate is still ongoing, that there is still a debate to be had. That's not really true, uh, at least with a high level assertion. Uh, there's a lot of debate on the causes and like nuances for like the causes and how much they're contributing, getting really good numbers and, and yeah. dates on these things. That's where the debate is. That argument was plausible back in the 80s. But even back then, we knew there was climate change. We knew humans were causing it. We just didn't have as much knowledge as we do now. Yeah. And each decade, we've gotten better and better at it. And today, if you're taking this stance that scientists don't agree... You're full of shit. Usually, when people try to claim that scientists don't agree, they don't ever really describe how or why. And they never cite the scientists that don't agree, unless they go straight to, like, scientists specifically in the employ of oil companies or something. Or Even that, I think, is a little bit generous. Uh, one event that was referenced by this publication was in April of 2006. There were 60 leading scientists, and that was in air quotes for those that can't see it, that urged Canada's prime minister at the time to reconsider the stance on the Kyoto Protocol. Most of these signatories were not engaged or otherwise involved in climate science, and some were not even scientists. Fifteen of them, one quarter of these signatories, were retired. So one in four of these people aren't doing science anymore, and none of them did science in the relative fields. Okay. Or so, or very few of them did science in relevant fields. Okay. So a lot of these people that are like, hey, there's a debate, they'll reference things like this, and they won't look at the actual credentials of the people that they are trying to lean on. Yep. That's, and that's a mistake. Events like this are coordinated by people who do things like take money from oil lobbyists. It, then these people will float around letters to stir up dissent. Yeah. Uh, these events are, are just rare. And we have events going the opposite direction that are much stronger and more frequent. And one such example would be a petition to the Bush administration condemning their stance on climate science that had 15,000 uh, scientist signatories on it. And of those, they were in the relevant fields and not retired? They're, they didn't break down the, the signatories as well as I would like, but yeah, I'm pretty sure all of them were actually practicing science okay. at a minimum. Okay. Uh, so also... This is another thing that is brought up a lot in January 2009. 3,146 Earth scientists were polled and 82% answered yes to the question, do you think human activity is a significant contributing factor in changing mean global temperatures? So these are just Earth scientists. They're all over the place. They have a lot of different disciplines. Earth science is very fucking broad. Of that 3,146, 77 of them were climatologists. And of those 77 climatologists, 75 answered yes. So in the relevant field, 95% say yes. Yeah, I think it's a 97.4 to be more exact, but yes. Yeah, in, in adjacent fields, there's still an overwhelming yes, but a lot of those geologists are like oil researchers and stuff. Yeah, the ones that were most likely to answer no were petroleum geologists and meteorologists. And even then, our rock doctor, when we asked him, he's like, yeah, climate 
climate change is real and man-made. And his defense of fossil fuels was, it's how we built society. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's objectively true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we burn these things to build society. We should do something about that and see if we can build society with something better. Yep. <sighs> it's also a study in 2004. It examined the abstracts, just the abstracts, of nearly 1,000 scientific papers published in the previous decade that contained the words global climate change. And they were just trying to look for the stance from the publication. Like, do they accept or do they reject? And they couldn't find a single one that rejected the consensus position. So no publishing scientist has a peer-reviewed paper that disagrees with climate change. Correct. So even if there's a scientist out there that disagrees, they're not writing and contributing to the active research. Oh, specifically within the range of 1994 to 2004. They did the study in 2004 and they only checked the previous decade. Yeah, not a single one in that decade. Yeah, And it's gotten more extreme since because the evidence is even stronger now. We have yes. just much higher resolution in all of our things. We have better tools for looking back. We have more animal tracking. We have more buoys in the ocean. Everything that can be tracked, we're tracking it better now, and it all points in one direction. Climate change is real, caused by people, and a big problem for people. Yep. There was a spider sighting, and the spider did not exist. Huh. Sneaky stealth spiders. Sneaky stealth spiders. I hate this. One of our listeners, Class of Broadway, has written more on climate change. He's very active on our Discord, and just in time for our climate change episode, he got an op-ed that he wrote. Mm -hmm. It's very well sourced, and I think you've taken a look at it, and I, I agree with just about everything in there. He has some parts where he's optimistic. <laughs> I don't want to shoot down optimism, but I think I want to adjust the directions he's optimistic in. But I think he's right that actions speak louder than words. Yes. And he's right that we've gotten a lot of bullshit words. Yes. And a lot of bullshit actions. There is a lot of bullshit surrounding climate change. That's why people are raising as much of a stink about it as they are. It would be lovely if everybody was on the same page. And we're like, hey, we should do something about it. And everyone's like, yes, let's do this. And then it actually happens. There would be no bullshit, no discussion. It wouldn't be this big deal. But it is a big deal because of the bullshit. Not an hour ago, I read an article about how people in conservative circles, not all of them, but how some people in conservative circles feel that Tucker Carlson doesn't agree with Trump's stance on UFOs. Somehow I think we're not going to get to a point where we can all be on the same page about anything, let alone things that involve like a nuanced understanding of evidence or logic. If you say everybody as in literally everybody, then like, yeah, no shit. That's... <laughs> But if, for the more practical purpose of everybody as in all the key players capable of creating change, well, there wasn't really... So there was like a little bit of struggling. I mean, there always is when it comes to some amount of change. But when we had the ozone layer depletion and we needed to ban chlorofluorocarbons, we did. Yeah, we did turn that one around. We got lucky there, too. It's entirely possible that it was just too late. The yeah. ozone has demonstrated an astounding resilience in terms of coming back. And I have a video from NASA. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. But it was entirely possible that we just yeah, fucked I, the Arctic and our Antarctic. I it remember being a kid and being told that, yeah, it was almost certainly too late and that my generation was going to pay for this growing hole of the ozone. I mean, it's not like we got away with it scot-free. I mean... Lots of penguin species are functionally extinct and it's not safe to be in those environments. We don't know what other damage we've done up there. Yeah. But I mean, I think you're right that it's a lot less bad than we were told. And it's something that people largely agreed on. And the people in charge of the decisions to make it better were largely on the same page. 
and we caused the change that we needed to have happen. We did. We got the offending products off shelves and the offending systems out of circulation and into a mode where they're doing a lot less damage. Refrigerants like air conditioning chemicals and things that made spray bottles work were some of the biggest problems. Yeah. And I get climate change is on a very different scale compared to chlorofluorocarbons. Chlorofluorocarbons. But it's not so outlandish that we can agree on individual things. And climate change itself is a big, complicated mess. If we could agree on individual components of climate change and address those at a time, just one at a time. We went over the narcissist prayer. There are still people on the climate change isn't real part of things. Well, potentially a solution for those types of people is to present the argument in such a way where you never say climate change ever. Get them out of power? You... That's another solution? Well, well if you want to go for an extreme solution... I... An ammo box can potentially solve this. Whew, that's a... I'd said extreme solution. Uh, that's a hypothetical for the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, the four boxes of liberty. That's normally something conservatives bring up, but yeah, I suppose that could be reversed. <laughs> yes, I know the conservatives like to jump to that eventually, but I mean, when you're sufficiently threatened, it's something that applies to everybody. And just conservatives, being the snowflakes that they are, jump to being threatened very, very quickly. Anyway, so... Yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do to try to, to make things better. But when you're trying to convince somebody who's just a, your typical voter, for example, don't say climate change. Don't say that oh, we need to, to solve these things. Like pick one component of climate change and try to present the problem in isolation and be like, oh, yeah, we should make this change happen for yeah. this one problem. Don't talk about fossil fuels being bad because CO2. Talk about energy independence and diversity of energy and how we should have nuclear and wind and whatever else they think might be appropriate. Yeah, so explain the economics of coal versus renewables. That's one thing you could do. <laughs> that really changed with the Ukraine war, didn't it? Yeah. Europe is really upset over their reliance on what was apparently cheap fossil fuels from Russia and now everybody's like, ah, oh, shit, we really have to cut Russia off. This yeah. could have been us being invaded. And it will be if we keep funding Russia. Ugh. I guess my tactic is slightly different than yours. You're like, focus on one thing in isolation. And I said, state the state another facet of the problem that they do care about. And those are both valid tactics here, I think. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we go ahead and read Class of Broadway's paper? Now that we've now that we've nitpicked what we do and don't agree with, <laughs> we ought to give uh, his words uh, a fair shake. Okay. This is titled, Op-Ed, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. Politicians and celebrities continue to push for a greener world, but their actions don't say so. The date is December 12th, 2015. World leaders wrap up the intensive discussions on preventative measure against man-made global warming at the annual United Nations Climate Change Conference in Paris. At the end of the summit, the leaders announced their plan, the Paris Climate Accord. The countries designed the pact to limit global warming to well below 2, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius, compared to pre-industrial levels. To attain the goal, every country needed to peak its use of fossil fuels as soon as they could. If all went well, we could see what the Accords called a climate-neutral world by 2050. Meanwhile, seven years later, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, still warns of a sinister future. In a recent report, the IPCC determined that fossil fuels must peak in three years and have emissions before 2030. Furthermore, the IPCC cautions that if warming continues at its current pace, 
the world could see temperatures rise 3.2 degrees Celsius by 2100. Governments globally appear to have missed the mark so far. Politics were to blame in the IPCC report. Shortly after the release, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, Some government and business leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. And the results will be catastrophic. Inaction from governments shows through Climate Action Tracker, an organization that observes climate pledges from 42 governments. The organization ranks none of the countries as, quote, 1.5 degrees Celsius Paris Agreement compatible, end quote. Fifteen countries are marked as highly insufficient, and the United States lands in the insufficient column. Dr. Bill Hare, CEO of Climate Analytics, criticizes the efforts from Australia even more, saying, quote, it is really an embarrassment, actually, end quote. Even more, candidates appeal to voters with their strong environmental policies. However, several Congress members that are called climate champions receive money from lobbyists in the oil industry. Senator John Hickenlooper from Colorado, Senator Tom Carper from Delaware, and Senator Mark Kelly from Arizona, among others, have acquired money, fundraising, or own stock in big oil companies. I say to these politicians, which is it? It can't be both. While promises on climate action often receive gratitude and approval, pledges broken leave a pervasive taste. Humans cannot procrastinate on climate action any further. Research consistently proves that man-made global warming burdens humanity now and will persist in the future. Currently, the world is sweltering from record heat each year with the past seven being the warmest for the planet. Several cities in the United States recorded their hottest years ever. While cities face heat, so does the ocean. Coral bleaching is an anomaly caused by the rise in ocean temperatures. During the sixth mass bleaching event since 1998, ongoing right now, coral becomes stressed by the heat and spits out its food supply, starving to death, which causes the bleaching. NPR reports that waters near the Great Barrier Reef are warming up to 7 degrees Fahrenheit above average. Scientists say that the reef has lost at least half of its coral. Along with the heat, natural disasters are on the rise. USA Today reports that U.S. natural disasters amounted to $140 billion in damage, the third highest ever. The catastrophes killed over 600 Americans in 2021, the most since 2011. And in March 2022, the United States saw the record for the most tornado reports shattered. Certainly, there are several other issues I cannot fit into this article. Unfortunately, the future looks even grimmer for these three. The United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction determined that by 2030, there will be 560 disasters a year. For comparison, there were 400 in 2015. In addition, the report concluded that the world would see 30% more droughts and three times more heat waves. And the coral? At the current rate, we will lose up to 90% of coral by 2050, and all coral by 2100. Sad to think that we would lose a significant food and income source. Half a billion people and one quarter of marine animals rely on coral for a living. Climate change should not be a partisan issue. Quite frankly, the debate should be focused on the consequences, not whether or not the phenomenon exists or not. How bad? Depends on what actions we take. Luckily, we do not have to wait for governments to take action. Ordinary people can take steps as well. Efforts such as reducing plastic, biking, walking more, and even composting seem small, but overall make a tremendous difference. I love it when people submit papers, right? And I don't always agree with everything in all of them, but up until you got to those last two sentences, I agreed with everything here. Yeah. I think there was really good sourcing on picking out specific actions and specific hypocrisy. Now that said, I don't think reducing plastic, biking, walking more, or even composting are going to make a tremendous difference. No. I do think we can make a difference by pressuring
capturing our leaders and getting the fuck rid of assholes who don't think climate change is real. We need new technologies and tighter restrictions on the kind of pollutants and the amount of those pollutants that corporations are allowed to release. And that has to be government enforced with harsh consequences. Okay, we both pulled up a source from the EPA. I'll make sure that that's linked. But it has a breakdown of where greenhouse gas emissions come from. About a quarter from transportation, about a quarter from electricity, about a quarter from industry. And the the fourth quarter is uh, split between uh, commercial and residential buildings and agriculture. Yep. You can check the source for exact percentages. But just if a quarter of it's coming from transportation, it means that if all Americans stopped transporting everything all the time, we would only get rid of a quarter of our carbon dioxide emissions. And if you're in such a position where you can walk instead of whatever else, you're not going to go that far. Yeah, I mean, people have said that carpooling can help doing uh, carpooling can help reduce this. And that is true. But yeah. carpooling on the scale that is necessary is, in my opinion, on impractical. Well, what damages this is that planes and boats are per mile way more damaging than cars. Yeah. Now, maybe not per pound of goods transported or the speed of transport, right? There are reasons and arguments you can make that planes are more or less good than cars and boats are more or less good than cars. But no one transportation mode is all of this. So and carpooling can only at a most get rid of the car stuff. Yeah, well, and at best, and that's for when you have to transport multiple people who are going to the same places at the same times, which is very specific and very limited in how carpooling can help. But as far as numbers, like breaking down numbers more detailed for transport, I did find a source on Our World in Data that has global greenhouse gas emissions by sector, and they do have a section of the pie chart, 16.2% for transport, and they do break it down even further. Road transport, according to Our World in Data, is 11.9% of that 16.2%. So let's just pretend that carpooling eliminates carbon dioxide emissions. It doesn't, but let's just steel man this, make it as strong as possible. Sure. The best it can possibly do is reduce our carbon emissions by 11%. If we were to completely eradicate it, yes. Okay, yeah. So it tells me that what we need to do is support larger scale green energy because I think we're going to have to reduce the carbon emissions of our transport. Right? 27% is what I've got, or about a quarter. Mm-hmm. Right? It is too big to be ignored, but it is from so many different sources that there's no one action we can take to fix it. We have to fix it as a society. Yeah. So I'm not even disagreeing with Class of Broadway when he says that we can take actions, but I'm adding on to that that these actions aren't sufficient. We need to take every action we can because his actions are necessary, but they're not sufficient. Support anything that will support green cars, public transport, taking public transport or these things on your own. You, ha- We will have to do all of these things, and we will have to have laws and mandates on people who are the most wasteful among us. Because the most wasteful among us are way more wasteful. And if you think you're one of those, you're probably not. I mean, like, there are billionaires taking private jets. One billionaire taking one private jet is going to burn more CO2 that trip than I'm going to spend the whole year in my little Hyundai Elantra. It's just it's just so disproportionate. People who have more money are polluting more. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be like all doom and gloom. Yeah, our politicians are full of shit. Our rich people, our business people are full of shit. Class's paper has some really good sources on that. And our industry is releasing about a quarter of our pollution that we just can't get rid of through any personal action. But there are other reasons to be positive. I've got, oh, what was your source on the thing you just said? The transport thing? Oh, our world and data? And even though our politicians are lying sacks of shit and our business leaders are polluting sacks of shit... 
some things are happening. Like from Seya.org, I've got a chart showing how many solar installations are happening in, inside the U.S. In 2016, we had a total of 1 million solar installations that had been done in the past 40 years, because that's about how long that industry has been around. And then it was only another three years to 2019 when there were another 1 million installations. So the speed of solar installations is just enormously fast now. We are getting, well, millions of solar panel installations set up, yeah. and that's good in the long term. New technology is being developed in renewables all the time and some of it is bigger than others but renewables is something that is exploding in their use and we're going to continue to see their growth now that would not be cause to celebrate if it weren't growing as fast as our consumption of energy because if our use of solar energy or of green energy were doubling but our use of energy were quadrupling it wouldn't matter because I mean, we'd still have a huge problem but luckily and i've got another source for this one uh it's also our world and data. Neat. We've got two different charts from them. But this one is renewable energy production by country for each year between 1965 and 2020. In the beginning, in the 60s, most countries weren't on the chart, and the United States was at about 4%. Now the United States is at about 11%, and almost every country in the developed world or... Uh, or Asia, or South America, just all, the, all the places except for Sub-Saharan Africa are on this chart with good stuff going on. And I don't know if it's just data missing for the region that isn't there, but there's a lot of the world showing really good numbers, and some places are at much higher amounts. We're not doomed, and our actions are having an impact, yeah. but that's not going to be enough. We have to keep pressuring people with more resources. Yeah, make... th there's only... <sighs> okay, thanks. Yeah, what it would take to cause change. There's a certain amount of damage from climate change that has already been done. It, think of it as uh, like a pipe. Like certain things we're doing now are going to continue to have their effects felt for decades to come. And there isn't much we can do about that. Like it's in the pipe. It's going to, its effects are going to happen. And if we start doing all the correct things aggressively right now, it's still probably going to take a while for us to experience a lot of those benefits. Uh, some of the benefits, not so much. Uh, we do have some really amazing information on uh, just the natural world bouncing back during pandemic and the reduction in human activity during the pandemic. I suspect this is like the 80-20 rule, where when you begin some project, getting 80% of it done is 20% of the effort. So it looks like you're just making amazing, just killer progress. Like if I wanted to make a Twitter clone, I could probably sit down in a weekend and have the ability to post and make tweets and upload photos and stuff. Yeah. But then it might take me another couple of months to get user authentication working, get the embeds working just right, figure out that weird bug where one in a hundred tweets it, it posts porn or something i don't know i've written crazier bugs okay then but this is uh, nature's recovery would be a lot like this if we did back off from the climate change sure maybe corals would stop bleaching but it wouldn't bring back the corals that are already bleached those might take a thousand years to recover maybe so yeah a lot of the damage is kind of inevitable and we do have the power to prevent further damage there's some consequences we're just going to have to face and that is the unfortunate part of this the uplifting part of it is we do have control over how much more is going to happen and people are generally trending towards being concerned about climate change and wanting to take more aggressive action regarding climate change and i do have a pew research link that shows in general, now this isn't true for every single question they asked, but for most of them, uh, general concern over climate change is lowest with boomers, then it's a little bit higher with Gen Xers, a little bit higher with millennials, and even higher with Gen Zers or Zoomers. 
So we are getting more concerned and wanting to take more action with climate change, and I don't see any reason why that wouldn't continue to be the case, especially as we see more and more effects of that climate change start to manifest. It's going to be more ever-present and undeniable, and even if people are denying climate change itself, it goes back to what I was telling you before. It's like, well, okay, even if you don't think climate change is happening, this is an imminent problem and a threat to you. Do you not want to solve it? Let's break this out into this specific problem see you solve it, and then people will solve that imminent problem to them. Yeah, maybe they don't know or care about climate change, but if gas costs $5 a gallon, maybe the appropriate reaction isn't yell at Democrats to lower prices. Maybe the appropriate reaction is go buy an electric car. Something like that, yeah. And there's only two things I can think of that can meaningfully accelerate this general trend towards being more climate change conscious. Because I, I do believe that there is a, an unfortunate slow and, and fixed pace at which people are going to become more aware of it and more proactive in what they want to do about it. Those two things, one of them I already mentioned before, <laughs> the extreme end of that category of solutions, uh, we get new politicians. We vote out the... That's a better ones. way to phrase it. We get new politicians. You I don't... I think when we run it by our lawyers, they'll let us keep that line in the show. Yep. You're, you're, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and th that can happen a few different ways. One of them is vote current ones out and vote in politicians that are actually concerned about climate change. The other way I will, I've already stated once, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Feel free to cut that one out. I don't know, man. Is there some way we could get rid of our politicians, like some fully automatic way? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can think of a few ways that can do about, I don't know, 3,000. I'm sorry. <laughs> 3,000 politicians per minute? Something like that, yeah. Like, this is fucked up, man. <laughs> but the, the other one that doesn't involve voting politicians, these kinds of changes are very often things that are just a foregone conclusion that will definitely happen when the economics mandate they happen. And that is exactly what we're experiencing with renewables right now. If we get more technology that makes more economic sense, that is climate change friendly than our current solutions, nobody's going to give a shit about the argument about climate change. You tell somebody you will save money with this tech, they will just do it. If the Ford F-150 and the electric Ford F-150 cost the same amount to buy, but charging your Ford F-150 by plugging it in to the outlet in your garage costs a dollar a night and filling the gas tank costs a hundred dollars per gas tank people are gonna start buying the electric ford f-150s whether or not they give a shit about climate change exactly and that kind of technology is being worked on and will continue to be worked on and we will see significant progress there in what all forms i can't really say i don't know the future but this is like i said something we've seen with renewables already yeah it's just a matter of trying to find some way to make the economic incentives line up with the survival incentive how about we move on to something actually light? Okay. Before we close this episode out, let's discuss one of our sponsors, Ren. They let you offset your carbon footprint. We'll have a link in the show notes in the YouTube description. You'll be able to see it in your podcast app. Just go to the show notes page, click the link, and consider signing up. They have a whole bunch of different ways where you can uh, help. If you give Ren money, some of it is buying carbon offsets. Some of it is them putting money towards creating clean fuel for refugees so they don't have to burn wood or burn coal for you know cooking and fueling their lives. They work capturing burnt remnants uh, biochar in California to prevent the next forest fire. And they provide tools for indigenous people in the Amazon to help monitor and uh, prevent deforestation. Yeah, go to Ren. Consider signing up. 
Let's end on something light. I've got two things that are kind of goofy. Don't want to bring back up that we're in a pandemic, but we are. And one man in Germany got arrested for forging COVID paperwork. Now, he didn't actually forge it in the way we think of forgery. And it was fraud. Over there, they call it forgery. The man got 90 COVID shots from all four of the different manufacturers. What the fuck? And he was reselling the paperwork to people. He would get their name. He'd go get the shot for them. And then he'd give them the paperwork so they didn't have to get the shots. I, okay. Scientists are unsure about the effect of getting 90 COVID shots. (laughs) No arrests have been made. The man has stopped his scheme and they're considering how exactly to prosecute this. Like, this should be punished, but... Oh, they're gonna punish him. Science. <laughs> but science? But science. Let's let's do it again. Get it with another 90. Does it change when it hits 91? His superpower is immunity to all coronaviruses. Holy shit. Yeah, I would... I'd get jabbed 90 times to just make COVID go away forever. I wonder if he walks into the room if people near him get vaccinated. <laughs> he just has a vaccination aura. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I know. It's the, the, so many of the anti-vaxxers are like doom speaking about this. Like you're shedding the vaccine. It's like dude, if I could, if if people could shed the vaccine, this wouldn't be a problem. It'd be amazing. So yeah, that one's still ongoing. That's that's like really fresh in the past couple days. Uh, my source for that is AP News. I've got another one from AP News. Let me just read the headline. Is it Reuters? Yeah, it's AP. Woman rescued after falling in toilet trying to get phone. Okay. So. The people doing the rescuing were the fire department. Makes sense. Yeah, they do a lot of rescuing. And when I say that she fell like 10 or more feet into the toilet, does, does that help clarify? That's not a normal toilet. That's an outhouse. That Okay, that's an outhouse. Uh, this person, they uh, they were using an outhouse in rural Quilcene, Washington. I, I checked it out on MapQuest. I'll have a link to that too. It's population 591 to tell you how far out there that is. And why they might still have outhouses, right? This is way out in the uh, in the pine forest. It's like that in the fucking nowhere. And uh, they dropped their phone in the toilet and tried to get it out. Apparently, they had a dog leash. They tried to fish it out with a dog leash. That didn't work. And then they tried to use the dog leash to suspend themselves to try to reach down. Then they fell in, had their phone, were covered in shit, dialed the fire department. The fire department showed up and passed them a series of blocks and crates and things they could stand on to climb out of the out of the outhouse. They advised this person to seek medical attention even after they they hosed him, him off. So they 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 cleaned him up, but they still advised him to, to seek medical attention because when you're covered in human shit for, you know, half an hour or whatever. Yeah, that, that can cause some problems. Yeah, they they mostly just wanted to get clean and leave. It wasn't their outhouse. <laughs> okay. Uh Okay. That's a thing. Yeah, two cases where I guess nobody died right off the bat. Isn't that great? Woo. It's so much better than all these other things we talk about. No? It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. I'll throw you in a toilet. Inaction from governments shows... Oh, okay. Didn't see the R, and I'm like, wait, it should have an R. It does have an R. Fuck. Just me being bad at reading. Thanks to Keldar for video and graphics work, and thanks to Alphawolf294 for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher include Jared, Duct Tape, Keldar, Stephen Larrabee, and Kaiju Helena. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. <sighs> you can do it. Yep. One breath. <sighs> 
you aren't sure where to do that, you can read the show notes, transcripts, and listen online at disevidentia.com. You can support us financially at patreon.com slash disevidentia. We have a subreddit at r slash disevidentia. You can tweet at us at disevidentia. You can chat with us on our Discord server, link in the show notes. You can watch our videos on YouTube, link in the show notes. Or you can email us at contact at disevidentia.com. That sounded like two breaths. Do over. No. <laughs> to both. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm going to save that. Oh, wait, wait, copyright intro. Copyright 2022, Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was slow by Pit X, used with permission.